Uh, the first question is, I'm trying to do Atma Vichara, but often fail. Surrender also is not working smoothly. Because when I think I have surrendered my will, something happens and I realize that I have not progressed. But there is the faith and the conviction that this is the right path and the most worthy aim one can ever aspire, for, aspire to. Then, one, then can one still gain liberation or self-realization depending on the sincere, honest, wholehearted desire for it, wanting it profoundly and honestly? Yes, certainly. <laughs> the, the road to success is paved with failure. If you have never failed, you will never succeed. We, we, any undertaking, any, any, any worthy undertaking, we will inevitably fail along the way. But however many times we fail, we continue trying. As Bhagavan said, the sign of progress is perseverance. So, Failing doesn't matter. As Bhagavan says, for example, in the sixth paragraph of Nana, however many thoughts rise, so what? When thoughts rise, what does that mean? That means our attention has moved away from ourselves towards something else. So the thought has arisen. No thought can arise without our attention leaving ourselves. So every thought that rises in our mind is a failure. So we are failing moment by moment by moment. But just because we're failing doesn't mean we shouldn't continue trying. Bhagavan often said this, this spiritual path is a battle being fought within our own heart between satvasana and all our vishayavasanas. Satvasana is the, is the, and sat means being. So the inclination to seek happiness in our being, the inclination to surrender ourselves, to subside, to just be as we are. And we can surrender ourselves and just be as we are only by investigating ourselves. So the inclination to investigate ourselves, that is satvasana. The inclination to attend to anything else is a vishayavasana. So there are numerous vishayavasanas we have. Uh, and because of the uh, through so many, we've been cultivating these Vishaya Vasanas through crores of jammas, through countless lives. Um, so they, 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 they seem to have a strength, but of course, whatever strength they have is the strength we have given them by allowing ourselves to be swayed by them. So we can weaken them only by turning within and thereby not allowing ourselves to be swayed by them. The more we turn within, the more we are thereby strengthening the satvasana and weakening the vishayavasanas. But this is a struggle. It, it, it is, this, is, this is not an ordinary undertaking. We, we have, we are, we, <clears throat> as Bhagavan says, in, in the verse 26 of Uludhanaptu, if ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. If ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. Ego itself is everything. Therefore, um, uh, investigating what this is, what this ego is, is overdal yaba menor. We can take it, we can translate it loosely as it's giving up everything. But a, a more correct meaning is, is the cessation of everything. So everything will cease 
if we investigate ourselves. So investigating ourselves means giving up everything, bringing an end to all these crores of so many endless worlds and dreams and uh, samsara, call it what you may, it will all come to an end. As Bhagavan said, um, in in 1945, shortly after the um, news had come about the, the atom bomb being dropped on Hiroshima, Bhagavan said, when the atom bomb of jnana uh, falls, all the crores of, of worlds uh, will be, will be uh, destroyed by it, like, like a, a pile of cotton would be destroyed by a single spark. So this is a very, very great undertaking. We must be willing to give up everything in order to succeed in this path. And of course, we're not yet willing to do so. That, that's why it seems difficult. That's why we seem to fail. Whether we try to, whether we call it self-investigation or self-surrender, it's the same thing. Both are equally, both are equally easy and equally difficult. The truth is they are extremely easy. They seem to be difficult because of our unwillingness. So we, whatever difficulty we face is difficulty we are creating for ourselves. By our unwillingness to let go, by our unwillingness to surrender ourselves. Because in order to turn our attention within, we must be willing to surrender ourselves completely. Because when we turn our attention within, ego thereby subsides. So if ego is not willing to subside, it will not be willing to turn within. So this is a this is a this is a a very great undertaking, a hugely ambitious undertaking. But we will certainly succeed. Bhagavan has assured us. Those who have been caught in the, in the, just like the prey that has been caught in the jaws of a tiger can never escape. But those who have been caught in the glance of Guru's of grace will certainly be saved and never forsaken. He gives that assurance very emphatically in the 12th paragraph of Nana. But he adds, Eninum Guru Katiya Varipari Tabaradu Nadakabendam. Yeah. Nevertheless, it is necessary to walk unfailingly according to the path shown by Guru. So we have to try our best to, to turn our attention within and to surrender ourselves. Trying our best is all we can do. Everything else will be taken care of by him. But we have to do our little bit. Just like the, the, the squirrel at Seidubandu, I don't know if you are familiar with that story in the, in the Ramayana, when that bridge was being built um, to Lanka, so that Rama and his army could go to um, rescue Sita from Ravana, that uh, bridge was being built. Uh, so many, so many, the monkeys and so many other big animals were bringing big boulders and putting them in the sea to make that bridge. The little squirrel it also wanted to do its little bit. So it came and picked it up a little bit. It put its stone there. Like that squirrel, we must do our little bit. The real work is being done by Bhagavan, by Aranachala. But we have to do our little bit. And Rama was so pleased with the squirrel that he stroked it on the back. And that is why squirrels in India all have three lines on the back. That is the story. But the significance of that story is we may what we are doing may be very seem very insignificant to us. Our attempts to turn within, our attempts to surrender may seem to be incredibly feeble. Doesn't matter. 
If we do our little bit, everything else will be done by him. But we have to do our little bit. And we will be made to do our little bit by him. Why did you make me think of you? So it's he who makes us, who any effort we make to, to investigate ourselves or surrender ourselves, it is he who is making us do that. So uh, let, us, let us rely on his grace with confidence in his grace. Let's not have confidence in our ability. If it, if it depended on our ability, failure would be assured. But because it depends on grace, success is assured. But we need to be willing to depend on grace. We need to be willing to give ourselves to grace. We need to be willing to cooperate with grace. How do we cooperate with grace? By not rising as ego. How do we not rise as ego? by turning our attention within. So we have to do our little bit, everything else will be done by him. So if we, if, we are, if we are trying our best, if we are earnest and sincere in trying to be self-attentive as much as possible, success is assured. If we are, even if we are not being sincere, he will make us do so. so but the, the more we, if we want to reduce the pain, the more we cooperate, the more you cooperate with the doctor, the less painful the operation will be. If you're constantly kicking and struggling when the doctor's trying to take the thorn out of your foot, you're just making it more difficult for yourself. So if we keep quiet and surrender ourselves to him, it will be a painless operation. So it's up to us whether we want to prolong the pain or whether we want to yield ourselves to him. So all we can do is try our best to yield ourselves to him. He will take care of everything else. That's the, the message that comes loud and clear in every verse of Akshramlai. So it's all a matter of we do our little bit, everything else is done by him. The real work is done by him, but we have to cooperate because he, his grace doesn't isn't something coming from outside. It's working from within our heart. So it's we he he's drawing our mind within. We must be willing to let him draw our mind within. If we insist on sending the mind outwards, then we are we are resisting his grace. So we have to yield ourselves to his grace as much as we can. I hope that's an adequate answer to that question. The next question is, after practicing Bhagwan's teaching for more than 40 years, why haven't you been swallowed up by our true nature? Is there hope for us? Thank you. Someone asked Bhagavan towards the end of his life, his bodily life, is there hope? Bhagavan said, yes, there is hope. There is always hope because Bhagavan is ever shining in our heart as I. Why we haven't been swallowed by him yet? Because we haven't yet given ourselves wholly to him because we are not yet willing to do so. But how to become willing to do so? We need to persevere in following this path, trying our best. Doesn't matter whether it takes... 40 minutes or 40 hours or 40 years or 40 lifetimes. We can only, if you're traveling on a journey, you can only travel from a place where you are now. So we know the direction in which we're to travel. That is to go back within. We, from wherever we stand now, whether we are, whether we are 400 lifetimes from it or whether we are four seconds from it, doesn't matter. We, the direction in which we need to go is to go within. Let us go within, 
leave everything else to Bhagavan. Let it take a hundred thousand years, a hundred thousand lifetimes, doesn't matter. So long as we're moving in the right direction, that's all that matters. It will all be over very quickly. Both, even if it's another hundred thousand lifetimes, that'll all be over very quickly. Because for us, time is real. For Bhagavan, time is unreal. So he will finish us off very quickly. The next question, how does Giri Pradakshina, that is going around Arunachala, help one in their spiritual practice? Sadhu Om sings to Arunachala, saying he does not know any other effective means other than going around Arunachala continuously. What effect does Giri Pradakshina have on one's mind? Other jnanis have sung in praise of Arunachala that Arunachala steals the karma of those who go around him. Yes, but how do we get rid of karma? So long as, as Bhagavan says in verse 38 of Uludhanaptu, if we have a doer of actions, we'll ex we have to experience the resulting fruit. So we, we can, uh, karma can be brought to an end only by bringing an end to ego, who is the doer of karma and the experiencer of the fruit of karma. So um, the Destroying karma means destroying ego, <clears throat> and that is the uh, that is the special our speciality is uh, destroying ego. So, um, how going around our uh, helps in this process? Our mind cannot adequately understand, but it is a fact. If we go round, it has a Arunachala has a. Arunachala is that light of pure awareness. It is always shining in our heart as I. But our minds are going outward, so we fail to recognize that. But the more we go round Arunachala, the more the mind will subside and be drawn within. See, I, earlier I explained what Bhagavan said in verse 10 of Arunachala um, Patikam. Bhagavan said, mere thought of Arunachala is sufficient. So. Um, when you're walking around Arunachala, are you not thinking of Arunachala? So it, this is uh, how Arunachala works. We cannot adequately understand because Arunachala is, though it outwardly it appears to be uh, Arivaru Giriena, it appears as a hill devoid of awareness. But actually, uh, uh, I think one of the Jnana Sambandha or Appa Swamigal or maybe Sundramurti, I don't know, one of the three of them, referred to our sang of Arunachala, Jnana Tiralai Nindra Peruman, over great Lord who stands as a vast mass of Jnana. So in our view, it's a hill of rock. In their, the view of these great Jnanis, it's a hill of Jnana. So the, the power of Arunachala cannot be understood by the mind, but it has a power. Bhagavan has made that very, very clear in so many verses. Um, and he, he, Bhagavan set the example. Bhagavan uh, went round uh, the Giri Pradakshana so many times, setting an example to us. And that was one thing he always encouraged people to do. So... Um, those of us who have been blessed to go around Arunachala um, will have experience of benefit. I mean, I, I, by 
the immense grace of Bhagavan. I was lived in Tiruvallamalai for nearly 20 years, and almost every day I went round the hill. Um, and the, the, the effect of that, of course, we, you don't see an immediate effect, but a very subtle effect is seen. I, I would say, it, now to me, Bhagavan's teachings seem so clear and so simple it's like when people are asking me questions, how am I able to answer these questions? Just somehow it seems clear to me that Bhagavan's given us all the answers in, in Aksharamalai and Uladunapadu and Nana, Rupadeshundi, in his works, he's given us all the answers. But to see the answers there, we need a certain inner clarity. If at all I have got any clarity, I would, I would say it is in no small measure due to the fact that I was blessed to go round Arunachal so many times. It does have an effect. But, of course, we can't understand how this works, how walking round this hill of, that appears to be just a hill like any other hill, a hill of rock, how that has an effect of, of creating that inner clarity, of course, our mind cannot understand, and our mind need not understand. Bhagavan, uh, when someone was doubting about the efficacy of Giri Paraksha, saying, does it really work? Can it really benefit you? Bhagavan said, whether you believe it or not, if you touch fire, it will burn you. Likewise, whether you believe it or not, if you go around this hill, it will burn you. At least it will burn away burn away at the, the foundations of ego. That, 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 well, ego is the foundation of everything, but I mean, it, it undermines ego. It has, it has that effect. Um, so definitely going around Arunacha is, is a great aid in this path. That there's no, uh, well, I, all I can say is I have no doubt about that. Having, having had the good fortune for nearly 20 years to go around almost every day, I have no doubt whatsoever about the efficacy of it. Um, if you have a doubt, give it a try and see. The next question is, what should I do when thoughts are taking over and I follow them incessantly? It feels like I want to turn within, and at the same time, I don't. Join, welcome to the club. <laughs> we are all in exactly the same boat. <laughs> um, we just have to continue trying. Yes, we. Why, why our mind is going outwards? Because we have more liking to go outwards than to go within. That is, let's be honest with ourselves. We, really, we, we say, oh, I'm so devoted to Bhagavan. We are, none, we are not devoted to Bhagavan at all. We're still devoted to the world because our mind is still going out to the world. If we were truly devoted to Bhagavan, our mind will be going only within. So the very fact that our mind is going outward shows the, uh, the, the inadequacy of our love. But we do have a certain degree of love where none of us can deny that. The very fact that we're here talking about this subject means we have some interest in this subject. We have some love to turn within. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here talking about these things. So the only way to strengthen that love is to try our best. No matter how many times the mind goes outwards, we need to draw it back within. As Bhagavan says, However many thoughts rise, so what? 
to whom do all these thoughts rise? That is what we need to take interest in. So when he says to whom, he's not us, he's not telling us we should question to whom. He's 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 saying we should investigate to whom. Investigating to whom means turning our attention away from the thoughts back to our soul, the one to whom all the thoughts appear. So we have to continue trying, trying, trying. No matter how many times we fail, we continue trying. Sooner or later, uh, uh, we, we, we cannot fail to succeed if we try. We may seem to be failing, but ultimately we will succeed. But it's true what you say. We we really don't have love to. We think we have love to turn within, but when we try and turn within, we find how inadequate our love is. When our mind goes outwards, it's because we have more liking to go outwards than we have to go within. So the the measure of our love for Bhagavan is to what extent. Do we have liking to turn our mind within? To what extent are we actually turning our mind within? That is the measure of, uh, of our love for Bhagavan. The next question. <clears throat> Did Bhagavan ever suggest that one should seek the company of a living jnani and be in close proximity to them if possible, just as many of his disciples went to visit him in person? No, that, that is, what do we mean by a living jnani? Um, the jnani is not the body. That is one of the fundamental teachings of Bhagavan. We are not the body. And if we take the jnani, it, uh, because of our ignorance, we take ourselves to be the body. If we take the jnani also to be a body, that's ignorance on top of ignorance. But we, at least we should understand, though we seem to be the body, the jnani is not the body. That is the fundamental teaching of Bhagavan. So um, when people talk about living jnani, they take the jnani to be a body. Sometimes people used to ask Sadhuam, is not a living guru necessary? Sadhuam said, yes, a living guru is absolutely necessary. But if by a living guru, you mean a guru with a living body, your living guru will one day become a dead guru. What is the use of such a guru? We, the, the living guru we need is the eternally living guru. That eternally living guru is Bhagavan because he's living eternally in our heart as I. So he alone is the real guru. He who is shining in our heart as I, that is the real guru. Um, there's a story I, I sometimes tell. That is, there, there was a devotee of Bhagavan from Tanjore called Janaki Mata. She often used to visit the ashram. One day when she visited the ashram, she saw Bhagavan returning from the cow shed. And there were just a couple of attendants with him. So he thought, she thought to herself, oh, this is a very good opportunity. So she approached Bhagavan. She uh, prostrated, uh, put her head on his feet and held his ankles. And uh, Bhagavan looked down at her with a smile and said, what are you doing? She said, I'm holding the feet of my guru. Bhagavan said, this body is perishable. These feet are perishable. If you take this body to be your guru, you will be disappointed. Your, the feet of your guru are shining in your heart as I. Cling to those feet. They alone will save you. So the real guru 
like Bhagavan, will always turn our attention not towards them, not towards the outward form, but back within. That is the function. Why Bhagavan appeared outwardly in name and form? To tell us to turn within. And if you're looking for a so-called living jnani, how are you to know who is a jnani? When you don't even know what you are, how can you know about the spiritual state of anyone else? Uh, um, sometimes when people used to discuss in Bhagavan's presence, you know, people have a way of, of, of they're very curious. Is this person a jnani? Is that person a jnani? So sometimes people would be talking this. Bhagavan would be just sitting there smiling, unconcerned about it. But sometimes people would ask, Bhagavan, is such and such a, a saint? Is he a jnani or not? Bhagavan sometimes replied, there is only one jnani. You are that. Know yourself and you know jnana. Jnani is not a person. Another thing Bhagavan often used to say, he often used to say, jnana me jnani. That means jnana alone is the jnani. That has a very deep meaning because what is jnana? Jnana is pure awareness. What can know pure awareness? Only pure awareness can know pure awareness. Pure awareness cannot be an object of knowledge. So only pure awareness can know pure awareness. So only jnana alone can be a banyani. And jnana is not a human form. So the, the, that jnana, in verse 13 of Uludunapadu, he says, jnana mam tane me. Oneself who is jnana alone is real. So there's no jnana other than ourselves. So we cannot find jnana outside. We cannot go running to this Mahatma, that Mahatma, thinking he will give me Mahatma, he will give me jnana, she will give me jnana. No, it doesn't work like that. No one can give you jnana because you yourself are jnana. In order to recognize yourself as jnana, you need to turn your attention within. So Bhagavan never encouraged us to go looking for anything outside. But all of Bhagavan's teachings are pointing us back at, his, uh, at ourselves. And then people say, oh, but Bhagavan has uh, composed verses in uh, Uludhanapriyana Bandham. There are five verses on satsang. Yes, Bhagavan did compose. Well, those verses, firstly, they're all translations that Bhagavan uh, translated on various different occasions. Secondly, Bhagavan has said a lot more about satsanga than what, than what is written in those verses. Bhagavan often used to say, what is satsanga? What is sat is ourself. We ourselves are sat. So the best satsanga is atmasanga. In other words, being self-attentive, that is the best satsanga. Coming down a level, but, uh, to, to, more, um, uh, to a lower level, Keeping the mind dwelling on Guru and his teachings is also satsanga. Being in the physical presence of Guru is a lesser form of satsanga than mentally being with the Guru. But there's a story to illustrate this. There was a, a couple from North India. They had retired and they came and they wanted to spend their, their last days of their life in Bhagavan present. So they came and rented a small house in and they were uh, every day they would come to the ashram and sit in Bhagavan's presence. At one time, some relatives of theirs from North India came to visit them. 
And because these relatives were staying, the lady had to remain in the house cooking for them and attending to all their needs. So they were stayed for three or four days. And during those three or four days, she wasn't able to go to uh, Bhagavan's presence. So when her relatives left, she came to to Bhagavan present and she lamented him, oh Bhagavan, for three, four days I wasn't able to, to come to you. And Bhagavan said, that is good. It's better that you were there thinking of here than here thinking of there. That means, what he means by that is, if she had come, been coming to Bhagavan's presence, she would have been thinking about her relatives. Oh, she's got to cook for them. She's got to do this. She's got to do that. So her mind will not, her body will be present, but her mind will not be present. It's better that she was at her home cooking for her relatives and everything and thinking of Bhagavan, but being in Bhagavan's presence and thinking of that. So it's the mental contact that is more important than the physical contact. So thinking about Bhagavan is, is a more effective form of, uh, of satsanga, even than being in his physical presence. Because uh, we can be in his physical presence and our mind can be wandering, thinking about so many, all our worldly problems and our uh, problems at work, problems with family, all the problems we usually think about. We can be thinking about all those things in Bhagavan's presence. And surely there were many people who, who would come to Bhagavan's presence and their minds would wander off. So it's more than being in the physical presence, being mentally present, having Bhagavan, keeping the thought of Bhagavan in our, our mind. And the best thought to have of Bhagavan is to think about his teachings, because Bhagavan is not just that person, that name and form. That name and form came to give us teachings. So Bhagavan is ever living, ever present in the form of his teachings. And what his teachings are telling us? To constantly turn within. So satsang is never lacking. We can always turn our attention within. When our attention comes out, we can think of his teachings, we can read his teachings, we can uh, uh, do manana on his teachings. That is a very efficacious form of satsanga. So we need not be running here and there thinking, is this person a jnani, is that person a jnani? If I'm in this person present, then I'll get jnana. That is all ignorance. Jnana is not to be obtained from outside. Or what Bhagavan's teachings are telling us is that jnana is our very nature. We can attain jnana only by knowing and being what we actually are. And we can know and be what we actually are only by turning our attention within. So running outwards, looking for jnanis outside is, a, is, is a, just a trick of ego. Ego is always looking for some excuse to go outwards. Oh, here's a jnani. Let me go. It, that's we are. If we are looking for jnana outside, we are fooling ourselves. Jnana cannot be attained outside. Jnana can be attained only in our own heart. I hope that is an adequate answer. Yeah, Michael, thank you. That was a wonderful answer. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, I do, uh, as I said, I, I do completely agree with you that mental contact is more important than physical contact, and distance shouldn't be no impediment. But yeah. I do find that when I when I did first come across Ramana Maharshi, uh, that I was captivated by his form. And now his form for me is like a portal to the formless. It is like a Wi-Fi device to exactly. the Wi-Fi. Uh, so for me, you know, I do, I do think there are a lot of people out there. Formless bhakti is very difficult for a lot of people. And for some people, for a lot of people, you know, uh, they need form to connect to the formless. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, but I agree the mental contact is most important. It's just that when you read... Um, you know, I, I watched that documentary, the Nyani, 
which you were in as well. And they said that people who were in close proximity, that, you know, Ramana did radiate, you know, he emanated silence when people were in his presence. I don't know how true that is. But Bhagavan, also, did, Bhagavan did not emanate silence. He did not radiate silence. He is silence itself. And we are, even now we are in the midst of that silence, but we don't see that, we don't, are not aware of that silence because we're looking outward. That silence, he is ever shining silently in our heart as I. Absolutely. So people, yes, people say so many things. He radiated. That is the understanding of the mind. But mm -hmm. actually, Bhagavan's teachings are far deeper than that. It's not a matter of, some people say he, he transmitted something, but there's nothing to transmit. Bhagavan pointed out, turn within, you are that. There's nothing to, it, Bhagavan's path is not a path of transmission. Like in, in yoga, there's some, some of the shaktas, they say they give yeah. shakti nipata or something, they transmit some power to you. Bhagavan doesn't transmit anything. Bhagavan's path is a path of submission, surrender. If we submit ourselves, we will find there's nothing to be transmitted because we are already that. So, yes, people will say so many things because everyone understood Bhagavan at their own level. But we should pay attention not to what people say about Bhagavan, but what Bhagavan said about Bhagavan. Bhagavan said, he is that which is shining in our heart as I, and with heart-melting love, we need to turn within. That is the following Bhagavan's path. Yeah, no, absolutely. If, he, if his presence was there in those, those 54 years that he was in Tiruvannamalai, if his presence is not here and now, then it's a very limited presence. It's limited in time and it's limited in space. We are limiting the unlimited by thinking that, that that name, that that 54 years when his body was present, then only he was present. Murugana in Sanidhi Murai, he has sung, the whole universe is Ramanashram. Because Bhagavan is omnipresent. He's present everywhere. So we, we cannot get away from Ramanashram. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think also, uh, Michael, just... One more, because if, if, say, for example, if, if a devotee stuck at a particular point, there may be some benefit. You know, a guru can come down from the mountain. Didn't Bhagavan sometimes help people? He knew where they were stuck and he would give advice applicable to that particular devotee. Isn't that sometimes helpful that you do have? So a, I, are a you suggesting that Bhagavan could do something more when he was in the body, but he cannot do now? Again, no, you're no, limiting no. Bhagavan's power. <laughs> no. I'm just saying sometimes people probably need uh, advice. Uh, he knows what them. help we need. He gives us that help. We, we should be looking within. If any outward help is needed, he will provide it. He, he, everything that is needed, all the inner help and outer help that is needed, he is providing. Absolutely. So we... we, we but, the problem we're up against is our own mind. Our own mind has so much liking to go outwards, to think the physical presence or the, when he was physically present or he's not physically present now, so I must find some other physical living yani. And so this is all the, this is all symptomatic of the, the outward going nature of the mind. We should understand his teachings. His teachings are but we, there's nothing to be sought outside. It's to be sought within. Yeah. If he wants to give us any help outwardly, that's he knows what help to give. He will give it. 
We don't have to go looking for it. What we should be looking for is looking for clarity in our own heart. That is the true satsanga, turning within. That is the most efficacious satsanga. And if our mind comes out, we have the support of his teachings to encourage us to go back within. Yeah, no, Otherwise, we're just, we're just joining a circus. But this, in the world, there's so many gurus, so many self-realized jnanis, uh, um, every Tom, Dick and Harry uh, who claims to be self-realized or whose disciples claim to be self-realized. Are we to believe them? Let them be jnanis or let them be agnanis. What is that to us? We need to... Bhagavan never asked us to inquire whether this person or that person is a jnani. Bhagavan said that's all anatma vichara. His teaching is give up anatma vichara, take to atma vichara. Find out whether you are a jnani first. Before, you, you, you cannot know whether others are jnanis or not until you know whether you're a jnani or not. And you cannot know whether you're a jnani until you know yourself. When you know yourself, you will find that you are, you are nothing but jnana. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you for that, uh, Michael. Yeah, thanks. So we, we, we need to take Bhagavan's teaching seriously. We need to think deeply about it and apply it properly. All this going outward, seeking uh, to this Babaji, that Mataji and all this, this is all just, we, we are going away from Bhagavan's path. Bhagavan's path is not about going outwards, it's about going inwards. Yeah, and if at all you want physical presence, Bhagavan is no, ever no, present I, in Arunachal in, in the form of Arunachal. So we we no, need no, not no. seek anywhere else. I, I've I've been on the Guru circuit for in the last two years. I've I've just surfed around, but I've always returned back to Bhagavan. So you know, oh. I feel that sense of uh, yeah. uh, you know a pure purity when it comes when it yes. comes to Ramana. So yes, yeah. No, thanks for that. Right. Cheers. Next question. Yes. Is it necessary to do the Giri uh, a production barefoot? Yes, that is the way to do it. It is um, um, just like when we go to temple, we go barefoot. Um, Arunachala is, is, is Adi Linga Sarupa. So when we go do Giri Pradakshana, it is like being in a temple, like going around the sh uh, shrine in a temple. So yes, uh, that is the appropriate way to do it. The next question. How important is company with regard to our spiritual progress? Sometimes we cannot control the company we keep, for example, family. I find some individuals heavy in their ego can try to interfere and cause the mind to stir when I would rather be going within. What to do about this influence? Our outward life is determined by Pararabdha. Who are the people we, should, we have to live with and have to associate with? This is all determined by Pararabdha. As Bhagavan said, Pararabdha affects only the outward going mind. Pararabdha can never obstruct us going within. So we are always, whatever company we are in, if we have a liking to turn within, we will turn within. If we, if we, are, our mind is going out to it because we're more interested in the outside things. We're more interested in the bad people we are with, the people who are heavy and uh, passing judgment on them and um, bl blaming them for our outward going mind. If 
If our mind goes outwards, no one is to blame but ourselves. We have allowed our mind to go outwards. So whatever circumstances we are in, though they may seem to us to be unfavorable circumstances, actually they're the most favorable circumstances because whatever happens is according to prarabdha. And the prarabdha is chosen by Bhagavan for our spiritual benefit. So whatever situation we may be in, uh, let's accept it. it. Thy will be done. Ninishtam enishtam, as Bhagavan says in verse 2 of Aranachapatikam. Your will is my will. Ibn Badaku, that is happiness for me. So whatever awkward situation we're in, whatever bad company may be around us, let us not be perturbed by it. But bad company has come according to Prarabdha, that is good for us. But of course, we shouldn't go out seeking bad company, but whatever happens, happens according to destiny. Our, our aim is to turn within, unmindful of the external circumstances. The next question. Did Bhagavan ever comment on the power of music and its ability to purify the mind outside of silence, as in Vedanta? Sound is often said to be the most subtle of sense objects. Um, as far as I'm aware, he didn't. And what purifies the mind is not sound or anything. It, in in verse um, verse three of Upadesha Bhagavan says that uh, nishkarmiya karma done for God purifies the mind and shows the way to liberation. But what is it that purifies the mind? It's not the karma, because the very the very same karma can be done for karmiata purposes. You can the, the same puja that you do, you can if you can do it either for the love of God or you can do it for um for gaining health, wealth, or whatever else you want. So it's not the action that purifies the mind. He says it. Kartalukakum, that means done for God. That implies done for the love of God. And in fact, in the Malayali, Malayalam version of Upadesha Saram, he says, Ishwara Pritiyanai, that means for the love of God. That's what's implied in, in the Tamil version. So the, it, what purifies the mind is not the action, but the love with which we do the action. Because what are the impurities in the mind? The impurities are the Vishayabhasanas. The Vishayabhasanas are our liking to go outwards. So what can remove that liking is only a liking to go within. So the love of God is, if what we do for the love of God will be creating that liking to go within. So it is, it's only the liking to go within that will purify our mind. So music per se will not purify the mind. If it is to, if it is devotional music, if it if it helps to, if by by listening to devotional songs, for example, if it helps to rouse feelings of devotion in your heart, then maybe that will purify your mind. But it's not the music really purifying the mind; it is the love with which you're you're listening to that song. The love that is the love that you feel for God. That is what it purifies the mind. 